God had a plan from the beginning to reconcile sinners to himself through the crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension of his son Christ. Welcome to Working with the Word, a weekly podcast designed to equip you with the skills and confidence for deeper daily Bible study. I'm Jeff O'Rear. And I'm Emerson Brown. Thank you for tuning into the 26th episode of Working with the Word. Today we wrap up the Old Testament in our whole story series as we talk about the prophetic books, not so much the specific content of Isaiah through Malachi, but rather looking to consider how these books play a part in the whole story of the Bible leading us to Jesus. So in this episode, we'll want to consider what is a prophet? What did prophets do? Some examples from the prophetic writings of what the prophets said, and then making the whole story connection to Jesus as the greatest prophet and the one who fulfills all that is spoken by the prophets. But before we go there, let's set up some context for these books. So in order to understand the prophets and appreciate what they had to say, I think we have to review what we've learned so far about God's relationship with Israel. And just to set this up, think about all the things God has done for his people, Israel. Way back in Genesis, God chose Abraham to be the father of a great nation that would bless all the nations. And that promise was passed down from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob slash Israel. And then in Exodus, we read about how God rescued the Israelites from slavery, and he invited them into a covenant relationship as his special people at Mount Sinai. And he gave them the terms of this relationship, the Ten Commandments, the promises to bless them if they would obey, and also the promises to curse them if they did not obey. And we can read back in Deuteronomy 28 about those blessings and curses. Then God brings them into the promised land after a period of wandering in the wilderness. He gives them victory in their conquest. They are established in the land. He even gives them a king and makes them a great kingdom. But the people are unfaithful to their covenant. And so starting in the book of Judges, we see nothing but a downward spiral of sin and faithlessness. There are some high points, like in David and Solomon, a few good kings here and there. But mostly we see just a spiral of unfaithfulness. And so eventually God gives his people over to foreign enemies. And he sends them out of the land into slavery, captivity to purify them. And then after 70 years of exile in Babylon, he finally restores them to the land. So remember all of that in the context of the prophets. And so to understand the prophets, we have to keep them in this context. There are really two things that help us understand the message of the prophets. Number one is the covenant. When you see a prophet speaking, you need to ask yourself, what have the people done to violate their covenant with God? Think about all the things God has done for them And then think about what they're doing to violate that covenant. A lot of times the prophets would speak to the three big eyes of their sin. Idolatry, immorality, and injustice. And then secondly, think about the prophets in context of the current events. What's going on at the time of this prophet? What's happening politically? What's happening religiously and and socially and culturally? The prophets didn't speak in a vacuum, but rather they addressed what God had to say about those current events. So as you're reading the prophets, they can be really difficult to read through because they're dense, they're full of poetic language. They're also filled with current events that we're not really familiar with and historical connections that we a lot of times have a hard time making. 
but I think understanding how they fit into the context can really help us understand and appreciate the prophet's message in context of the covenant and their current events. So, Jeff, what exactly is a prophet? Maybe we have an idea of kind of what they are, but but how would you describe what a prophet is? Yeah, I think we're familiar with the idea of prophets, and maybe we have this picture in our mind of this is an old man with a long beard, dressed <laughs> in a schmancy robe with some type of staff. Maybe you've Like got, Gandalf? Yeah, I was just about to say, just like a Gandalf figure or... You think about a lot of the pictures we see in our illustrated Bibles or something like that, you usually see prophets kind of dressed in that type of garb. But let's not think about really particularly what they're wearing. Let's think more about who these people are. You see men or women. You have women like Miriam or Deborah or Huldah or even Anna in the New Testament. You have prophets and prophetess as well. You have people from all type of occupations. You have former princes like Moses. You have shepherds like Amos. You have cowards like Jonah and those who are courageous, as the Jewish tradition says, like Isaiah, how he was martyred by being sawn in two in the days of Manasseh. You see prophets who often are very courageous and for speaking God's message, even when it's unpopular in the eyes of the rest of the people. The prophets, or you think about what is a prophet, a prophet is someone who comes from all walks of life. But most importantly, and maybe most simply, a prophet is this, someone who is God's messenger. The consequences of disobedience are going to be spoken by the prophets, the coming wrath when people refuse to repent, and hope in the days of Messiah, etc. These are the type of messages that the prophets are going to speak. They're going to be these people from various backgrounds, various different places, speaking to the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom, speaking to other kingdoms, speaking to people in Jesus' day, speaking to people in Moses' day. They're seen throughout the history of the Bible, but there are these people who just simply are God's messengers. Let's think about then, what did the prophets do? Yeah, so because they're messengers from from God, simply they spoke for God. And, And one thing we need to understand really off the bat here is that a prophet was given a great responsibility to speak only God's words. In 2 Peter 1, verses 20 and 21, Peter says that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. And so their messages were not their own. They were God's messages. A lot of times you will find this phrase, thus says the Lord. Mm-hmm. And the reason they repeat that phrase over and over and over again is to show that this is the message that God is speaking. Right. There's a vivid illustration that I think of. In the book of Ezekiel, chapters 2 and 3, the prophet Ezekiel is being called by God to, to do this work of speaking for God. And God gives him a scroll to eat. And on this scroll is, is written all of the judgments that Ezekiel would, would speak to the people, the message of God. And he's told to eat this scroll. And then in the very next few verses, he's told to speak those words to them. So he has to ingest it and then he can give it to the people. So this is God's message. Now, it sounds like a simple task that the prophets were given to do, but it was often very difficult. You mentioned the courage of Isaiah and some of the other prophets they had to have been courageous because the usual response to the prophets was rejection. The prophets not only spoke to reveal God's heart, but in their speaking God's heart, whether God was disappointed about them or angry or expressing his love for the people, them speaking that usually revealed the people's heart, the insensitive hearts or the ignorant hearts or the self-willed hearts of the people. 
in another prophet, when Isaiah is being called in chapter 6, God tells him, go and tell this people, keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of this people insensitive and their ears dull and their eyes dim. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. The The job of a prophet was not an easy one. It was a lot of mm-hmm. times a very difficult one right? because the people's hearts were a lot of times hardened against the messages of the prophets. So what we want to do now is think about some examples from some of the books that we do know. Again, we're not going to go through each book of the prophets, but Emerson and I have each picked a prophet that we maybe feel somewhat comfortable with talking about some examples to show these are what God is saying to his people in that day and time, as well as these are some things that the prophets are telling that's going to be coming in the days ahead, as we might think about prophets not just being people who speak about the future, but also speak about the events of what are going on right now, those current events like Emerson talked about a little bit earlier. So I'll be giving some examples from the book of Zephaniah. Emerson will be giving some examples from the book of Isaiah. Let's think about some examples of foretelling. Think about what's going on currently in the days of Zephaniah. Some context of the book of Zephaniah, we have during the days of Josiah, is that Zephaniah is going to be preaching and proclaiming his message to the people of Judah. This is coming off the heels of two terrible kings in Judah, Manasseh and Manasseh's son Ammon. Lots of wickedness, lots of sin going on in those days. God speaks of a coming day. The day of the Lord is often a term when God's judgment is going to be executed and is referenced approximately 19 times in this short three-chapter book and is most likely due to all the wickedness of Judah. In Zephaniah chapter 1 and verse 6, God talks about those who have turned their back from following the Lord, who do not seek the Lord or inquire of him. That seems to be the general hearts and attitudes of the people of Judah in that day and time. They've turned away from God rather than seeking him, looking for his guidance, as we see with maybe some of the better kings like Josiah or Hezekiah or King David, people like that. And so Zephaniah is encouraging the people to seek the Lord. Perhaps you may be hidden in the day of the anger of the Lord, he says in chapter 2 and verse 3. So rather than turning yourself away from God, turn yourself to God and seek him. Yeah, a lot of times when you read the prophets, they will address this problem of shallow religion and how a lot of times, I I really don't know a whole lot about the prophet Zephaniah, but in the time of Isaiah, the people still offered sacrifices to God and they still, you know, attended the, the festivals and the feasts and everything. But yet Isaiah is really strong about their injustice and their immorality. They're doing all these good things, but God says, I want more than that. And so when we're thinking about forthtelling, what is what is God saying about the present? He, he wants the people to do more than just, you know, fulfill the checkboxes of their religion. And so because they are failing to, to do what God really wants from them, to love him with all of their hearts, God does speak of re- returning to him and seeking the Lord. That's really what it's about. Yeah, absolutely. So as we think about forthtelling, we're thinking about God's view of the news, God's view of the present current events, the current times. I want to use an example from Isaiah chapter 7, the first part of it. In the context, the northern kingdom Israel and the Arameans have teamed up against Jerusalem, the capital of the southern kingdom of Judah. And the king at the time, King Ahaz, 
he's afraid. In fact, it says in verses 1 and 2 that his heart shook like the trees in the wind. A very vivid uh, picture there. And so God tells Isaiah, you take your son and you go meet Ahaz. And in verse 4, this is God's message to him about what's happening. God says, take care and be calm and have no fear and do not be faint-hearted because these two stubs of smoldering firebrands. And he goes on to describe how these two nations, Israel and Aram, their plans are not going to succeed because in just a few years, in fact, he's specific, 65 years, both their lands will be desolate. So basically he says, these are kingdoms that are doomed to fail anyway, so don't be afraid of them. And so the message to Ahaz is is to not be afraid, to trust in the Lord. This is a crisis of faith. He says in verse 9 that if you will not believe or trust me, you surely will not last. And so God's view of the news here is these two nations are coming up against you or they're trying to attack your city, but God is calling upon Ahaz to trust in God. Don't trust in yourself. Don't trust in your own military might. If you turn to the Lord, he will deliver you. And I think this is really a good lesson for the times that we're living in. When we go through politically turbulent times, the answer is not in the world. The answer is in God. Let's trust in him. Let's, let's not be afraid of what's happening in the world, but let's respond to that by trusting in what God has to say. Yeah, and I think that's a great point to make about how we're seeing God through Isaiah give that message to the king for that moment. That wasn't God using Isaiah to talk about 2021. That's something Mm -hmm. that we can learn from that example, but that's not him talking specifically about our day and time. That's a danger we have to be careful at with the prophets is just thinking the prophets are always thinking about the future. And so how can I make the prophets fit into my day and time? This prophet talks about some type of injustice or something with the sun, and that means it's happening today. But that's not what's going on necessarily. So that's a really helpful specific example to see there from Isaiah. So moving to more of that foretelling of some things that are going to come, the prophets will talk about that from time to time. And we see in the book of Zephaniah, with as he describes this coming day of the Lord. In Zephaniah chapter 1, we see that in verse 7, as well as in verse 14, as well as some other times, it'll talk about the coming day of the Lord, it'll talk about on that day. We see that that day is going to come again throughout most of the book of Zephaniah being described as a a day of judgment and wrath upon those who are sinful, who are refusing to turn back to God and are refusing to seek Him. In fact, in the beginning of the book, in verse 2 and verse 3, we get this uncreation type of language. I think we used that term before, whether that's a real word or not. The idea (laughs) of what we see in the beginning of Zephaniah is he talks about how I'm going to utterly sweep away everything. Rather than God creating order and bringing things together like we see in Genesis 1, it's more of a flood-like story where things are destroyed or wiped out. And so here's a longer section towards the end of Zephaniah chapter 1, and I want you to really pay attention as I'm reading to him talking about the things that are going to happen on that day. Again, the day of the Lord is a big thing that's referenced over and over again in Zephaniah. So particularly this is Zephaniah chapter 1 verse 14 through verse 18, I'm going to try to emphasize the coming day of the Lord. Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 14. The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. 
The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blast and a battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. I will bring distress on mankind so that they shall walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust, their flesh like dung. I love that line. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on the day of the wrath of the Lord. In the fire of his jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. For a full and sudden end, he will make of the inhabitants of the earth. You get the picture. I mean, when you read Zephaniah 1, 14 through 18, he's looking to a point in the future and it's God's wrath, it's God's judgment coming because of these sinful people. You see the picture of what happens when people turn away from God, how he turns away from them, and it ain't going to be pretty. Yeah, it's it's interesting when you think about these verses in context of the uncreation, because it's when you read the prophets, they pick up themes that you see earlier in the Bible, and that's really helpful to make those connections, because what Zephaniah is saying is basically you know, you're going back to the days of the flood and when we saw God basically resetting creation and because of sin. And you're right, it's not a pretty picture. A lot of times God's judgment and his wrath is is, is described in, in very vivid terms that really should make us feel humble when we see our own sin and God's wrath against us. And so, yeah, I think it's helpful to pick up those themes from earlier in the Bible and connect it to the prophets. Yeah, and I totally agree. If we read this section and we don't feel a little bit of that healthy fear of God, then mm-hmm. either I don't think we've been listening properly or we've got something that we're not calibrated right to see God's power and God's justice, especially as it's against our sin, like you mentioned a moment ago. Now, as the day of the Lord is the big theme in Zephaniah, the somewhat perplexing thing about the day of the Lord is that the day of the Lord is talked about in two different ways in the book. There's a, a large chunk of the book that seems to focus on the idea of it's a coming day of judgment for the wicked. But the day of the Lord is a day of salvation for the faithful remnant. The day of the Lord is a day of hope and restoration for those faithful people to him. From the end of the book, in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 12, verse 17, and verse 20, listen to the language when God's talking about that day. This is Zephaniah chapter 3, starting in verse 12, and then verse 17, and then verse 20. But I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord. Already we're seeing a contrast to the proud and haughty people who turned away from God. Now these are people who are humble before God. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion, let your hands not grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt you over or exalt over you with loud singing. At that time I will bring you in at the time when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth, when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord in this picture, the coming day of the Lord is a day of hope, 
when God is not going to be the destroyer, but he's going to be the savior. When people are not going to be scattered from God, but people are going to be brought to him. And people are going to rejoice as they come together. You get this picture where there's going to be people who are going to be praising him. And people from all over the earth, not just Judah, but people from all over, all nations being blessed by God. You know, when, when you study the prophets, one of the big questions is, how much do we take literally versus figuratively? And the point of this podcast is not really to cover that, but a lot of times it's helpful to look at each prophet in their own context, see how the New Testament uses the, those prophets and those uh, prophecies to answer that question. Mm-hmm. So a second example of, of foretelling, you know, looking at God's view of the future, I find another example in Isaiah chapter 7, right after, uh, it, well, really in the same context of that conversation with Ahaz about the the coalition of Israel and Aram, God says to Ahaz, ask a sign. If you want to know that I'm going to be with you, then then just ask a sign. Make it as high as the sky or as deep as the grave. And Ahaz kind of responds with this self-righteous, I'm not going to test the Lord. I'm not going to do that. But then God says to him, I'm going to give you a sign. In verse 14, he says, behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. Now, I know that there's debate about whether or not uh, this is referring to a son that's born in Ahaz's day. We're going to save that, table that for another time. (coughs) But we do know with certainty that this is a prophecy that's fulfilled 700 years later in Jesus specifically. Mm -hmm. So when Gabriel is talking to Mary about Jesus being born, conceived in her womb, It says, now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. You know, Jesus is the true Emmanuel. Jesus is the true God with us. And so God is is making a prophecy here that something's going to happen 700 years where we can say, yeah, God is with us today. Absolutely. Let's make some more whole story connections to Jesus. As we're thinking about Jesus being described as a prophet and really Jesus being the greatest prophet, we need to do that by going back to the book of Deuteronomy, first of all. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15 and verse 18, Moses says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from among your brothers. It is to him you shall listen I will raise up for them a prophet like you among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth. He shall speak to them and all that I command him. In a sense, Moses is speaking of how all prophets who are truly from God will speak to the people what God tells them to. Like Emerson made the point earlier, prophets were not meant to just say what was their own thoughts or feelings, but if they were going to be giving a message from God, it was supposed to be God's message. And in Deuteronomy 18, God even makes the point of, how do you know who's a real prophet or who's not? Well, they'll sometimes say things about the future, and if their things about the future don't come true, then they're not a real prophet. There's an example, I think it's in Jeremiah, if I remember correctly. I don't remember the exact names of the people, but Jeremiah is preaching about Babylon is coming and destruction is terrible and it's going to happen and there's no use in fighting it. But there's this other guy who's a prophet, at least calls himself a prophet, who says, no, Jeremiah is in these yokes, but we're going to break off those yokes and we're going to break off the yokes of Babylon. And Jeremiah is like, hey, that sounds great. You know, if that's what really comes true, that'd be awesome. 
But we'll see what happens in all of that. So what Moses talks about here is really an idea for all prophets. They're going to speak truly what God gives to them. But in the days of Christ, we see the Jewish people are looking for the prophet. In John chapter 1, and verse 19 through verse 21, it says, And this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. They asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. They asked him, Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. They were looking for this figure, it seems, who was going to be this great fulfillment of what Moses said God was going to do, raising up this great prophet. It is Jesus who is the prophet the Jews were looking for, the one who would tell the people all things, as it talks about in John 4 and verse 25, the one who speaks just as the Father taught him, like it says in John 8, 28, as well as 17 and verse 8. Jesus is going to preach repentance, just like the prophets often do, as we see Jesus doing in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17. Jesus is going to preach destruction for those who don't repent, as Jesus talks about the destruction of coming upon Jerusalem. We also see Jesus facing the destiny most of the prophets faced. We see in Matthew 5, 11, and 12, he says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecute the prophets who were before you. And really, we're going to come to find out that's how they're going to treat Jesus. They're going to treat him shamefully and persecute and kill him. We see, most importantly, though, Jesus is not just the prophet. He is the greatest prophet because Jesus' message is unique, even among all the prophets that preceded him, because it wasn't him saying salvation is coming, look for that salvation, but he is saying that he truly is that way to salvation. You think about John 3.16, to have faith in God's Son. Jesus is claiming, I am that Son. And John 14, verse 6, he tells his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So as Jesus proclaims the message of God, the unique thing is that Jesus is saying, I am the answer to all of that, truly making him the greatest prophet. Yeah, that really is a, a really important thing to understand that Jesus's message was unique because none of the prophets ever said that about themselves, or at least none of the prophets that God sent. They never pointed to themselves and said, I am the Savior, I'm the Christ, or I'm the Messiah, but Jesus did. Mm-hmm. A lot of times people today just look at Jesus as a good prophet. He had a good message. He had a lot of good things to say. Maybe he said some good things about God and maybe even told the people what God told him to say, but Jesus did a lot more than that. He was pointing to himself as the way of salvation. And so another whole story connection to Jesus, uh, so often Jesus connected the prophets to himself, the message of the prophets, and he showed how they were pointing to him as the Messiah who had to come. In Luke 24, Jesus is talking to the two disciples who are on the road to Emmaus, Uh, after his resurrection. Jeff likes to pick on me for how often I go to Luke 24. I was just about to say something about that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I love Luke 24. I think, you know, our emphasis on the whole story has really given me a new appreciation for this chapter because Jesus explains how the whole story of the Bible is about him Mm -hmm. to these, these two disciples. And he says to them in verse 26, Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? 
And then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them all the things concerning himself in the scriptures. And so he used the prophets to point to himself. Uh, The prophets wrote of the Christ and his sufferings and entering into his glory. And of course, this is really all about God's plan from the beginning to uh, reconcile sinners to himself through the crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension of Christ. The greatest example of this, I think, is Isaiah 53. Um, It says in verse 5, as it's picturing this servant that is suffering, it says, He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. And of course, at the time, the people of Isaiah's day probably had no idea who this was talking about. I mean, we read in Acts chapter 8 that the eunuch, as he's going from Jerusalem back home, he's, he's sitting in this chair and is reading this text, this very chapter. And he himself is wondering, who is this passage about? Who is this talking about? So, you know, they didn't understand who this was about in their day. But Philip comes along and he preaches Jesus to him. And so Jesus is the fulfillment of this suffering servant, this king that was going to come. Mm-hmm. Amen. And so this helps us transition into the to be continued at the end of this episode. You know, I think about the prophets and everything we've talked about in the Old Testament up to this point. It reminds me of those shows that um, you watch and ev- every single episode, the plot thickens, right? Just a few months ago, we got done watching the WandaVision series. And, <laughs> you know, every single episode, I left just scratching my head more than, than the first one or the previous one. <laughs> right. I was left with more questions than answers. And I think that's kind of the way the prophets are. There's this constant theme in the prophets, look ahead. They make some connections to the past, some connections to the present, but they make these connections that have really no resolution in the present time to the future. A great king is coming, but who and how and when? And, and you and I already know the answer. We've talked about it. It's, it's Jesus. But the, the prophets didn't themselves, the ones who are speaking the messages, didn't know the answers. It says in 1 Peter 1 verse 11 that they were all seeking to know uh, what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. So it's easy for us to say, yeah, it's all about Jesus, but even the prophets didn't understand that. And so as we look forward in the story, there's an increasing sense of anticipation that leads us straight into the New Testament, where we're going to see the resolution of this, that God had a plan from the beginning to reconcile sinners to himself through the crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension of his son Christ. So before we leave today, let's give our challenge to our listeners. We want to encourage you to read Ezekiel chapter 34. This is one chapter from the prophets that we felt we could notice some descriptions about how Israel's leaders are described as shepherds here and how they're falling short of their duties. You see God speaking a word to what's happening in their day and time. But as you read that, keep the things in mind what God has to say about how Israel's leaders are behaving, as opposed to how he behaves as a shepherd, and particularly contrast all of the bad behaviors of Israel's leaders to how Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd in John chapter 10, 
verse 1 through verse 18. So simply that challenge, read Ezekiel 34, read John chapter 10, verse 1 through 18, and then praise God for our good shepherd through his son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to Working with the Word today. We are really excited for next time when we will fly over the New Testament Gospels, the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These books are the highlight of the entire Bible, for it's there that we finally see the arrival of the Messiah and learn what he came to do. Until next time, if there are questions or topics or books of the Bible you would like for us to cover in future episodes of Working with the Word, you can find and reach out to us on Facebook and Twitter at Working with the Word, on Instagram at workingwiththeword.podcast, or you can send us an email to workingwiththewordpodcast at gmail.com. That's all one word, workingwiththewordpodcast at gmail.com. So until next time, may you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen.